Hi to all of you. I'm glad you're, you're here. Uh, hopefully you're healthy. Uh, those of you who are gathered online, I hope you're healthy as well and that you're not online because you're unhealthy. But if you are, I just pray that uh, God would give you some grace and some mercy because it seems like a lot of people are coming down with this stuff these days. So let's continue to pray for our brothers and sisters um, when it comes to this time of the flu season, cold season, virus season. I don't care what we call it. It's just, it's not, it's not a whole lot of fun. So hopefully those of you who have avoided it thus far will continue to do so. Uh, we're going to return to um, Matthew chapter 1 today. So if you're a Bible or your Bible app, I um, invite you to turn there with me. Uh, we've been alternating between Matthew's um, birth narrative and Luke's birth narrative. Um, remember, there are different authors writing to different audiences, and so it's, it's a really uh, helpful to us to access both of those narratives to try to understand a little bit more about what's going on. Um, um, in this particular storyline. So, and, and I just wanted to remind you that um, Matthew is writing to a very specific Jewish type of audience. And they're not just, you know, any Jews, they're skeptical Jews. Where Luke tends to be a little more image rich and he, liked, uh, he likes to offer some historical details because of his background. But he's also writing to a group of Christian believers who may not have heard the story at all. So it's a, it's a very... Um, a different agenda in the background, but at the same time, it's a very different style. And, uh, and we're going to see that again uh, play itself out again today. So let me read Matthew chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 18. Uh, let me read through this, and then I want to I unpack a couple of things and then offer a comment. That's kind of where we're going today. So Matthew chapter 1. Uh, remember, we started with the genealogy. We're picking it up right after the genealogy. So verse 18 is where we will begin uh, today. <clears throat> this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord, and we believe it. Now, there's um, plenty to unpack here, a lot to understand, I think. Uh, I'm very thankful for Matthew to highlight some of the Jewishness because, as you know, culture matters. And sometimes there are things that we find that are culture-related in the, in the text that we don't necessarily recognize right at first. Um, and so um, digging a little bit deeper in these things make this, uh, gives it a lot more texture, I think. So the first thing in verse 8, 18, and I mentioned this before, is that she was pledged to be married to Joseph. Um, Mary was pledged to Joseph. 
And try to think of it in, in a three, kind of a three-part process. You had a courtship, you had a betrothal period, and then you actually had the marriage. And, and, and it seems to me that in our current culture that the big deal is the wedding, isn't it? I, I, and it's like everybody tries to gear up for the wedding. There's nothing wrong with that. But in ancient culture, there was more emphasis placed on the relational component. You know, yeah, you had a big celebration and that sort of thing. I'm not suggesting that. But there was a lot more um, cultural norms, cultural expectations put in the process rather than in the actual event. Does this make sense? So, yes, there was a big... Um, sort of a, a celebration at the moment of the wedding, but the relationship process took a lot of time. So you have these, these three segments. You have the courtship. That's kind of where parents were negotiating. Uh, families were negotiating with one another, and then you had a betrothal. And um, that was a legal step that they took before they were actually married. We're going to talk a little bit more about it in a minute. And then it says that um, she was found to be pregnant um, by the power of the Holy Spirit. She was found to be pregnant, which I think is kind of an interesting turn of a phrase. She was found like, eh, surprise, you know, kind of thing. Well, yeah, it's, I suppose it was. Um, but this is why Matthew starts with the genealogy, of course. Because, you know, if you're a first century Jew and you're reading this and you're seeing that, you know, came to be pregnant by the power of the Spirit, you're going to kind of scratch your head and go, well, wait a second, that's a little weird. But if looking through the genealogy that Matthew's already laid out, <laughs> I got to be careful when I say this because I might get into trouble, but that's okay. I've been in trouble before. Weird women were part of Jesus' history, right? I mean, this is, not, this is not anything that was new. It was not anything that was scandalous. There was plenty of that type of stuff in Jesus' in Jesus' history. And so consequently, um, Matthew kind of set his readers up for, for this little detail, as it were. Moving on into verse 19 then, um, it talks about Joseph being a righteous man. Um, in some translations it says uh, that he wanted to be faithful to the law. You know, that's the idea of righteousness and to, to uh, divorce her quietly. And I think to me this is really a testimony to jo Joseph's character as an individual, um, as, a, as, a, as a righteous uh, sort of man. We'll talk about this in detail momentarily, but... He was trying to follow God, and Torah, the law, gave him the right to divorce, uh, um, divorce Mary, and frankly, to humiliate her. I mean, the, the law, you know, kind of allowed for that under the circumstances, but instead, he opts for mercy, and um, and and uh, chooses to try to do this this procedure quietly. So. Again, we have to go back to this idea of courtship, then you have betrothal, and you have marriage. They were pledged to be married, but if he did not want to take it to the third step, he still had to divorce her, okay? So it's a legal thing, and it's a big deal. It's a big deal um, to divorce someone at that particular point, um, not just after the wedding ceremony, okay? So then in verse 20, we find that um, there's an angel that appears to him in a dream. I've been thinking about this a little bit because um, in Luke's account, the, the angel actually shows up right in front of Mary where Joseph has a dream. Now, and I suppose we could probably get all excited about that particular difference, but I think well, the best place to land is that Matthew is writing in a specific way for 
again, a specific audience to a skeptical Jew. And so angels, messengers of God, would often show up in dreams. And so he's trying to make some Old Testament um, uh, connections here. So think about it this way. Um, There's a great story uh, in Genesis where um, uh, Jacob is, is traveling, and he ends up sleeping on a stone pillow, and he dreams a ladder that showed angels going up and down the ladder from earth to heaven, right? But it was a dream, and he woke up, and, and he named the, the uh, if I remember right, he names the place Bethel, which is kind of the house of God, the place of God. <clears throat> and so this is kind of a, a way of hearkening back to that idea that in a dream he would actually see these angels. Does this make sense? So there's a connection here that, that Matthew's trying to make for his Jewish readers. So keep that in mind. And I think ultimately what happens is um, uh, there's a certain amount of Old Testament credibility that's lended to Joseph here. That, that's the important thing, is that if you're a Jew and you're more interested in what's happening in the Old Testament because that is your law, you're, Matthew knows that he's going to need as much common ground as he can possibly get. And so that's, in, in my mind, I think that's really what's happening here. And of course, he's, he's told to give him the name Jesus. This is a variation, we talked about this before, on Yeshua, which means salvation. And it's very Old Testament for names to mean things, right? And so once again, we have this Old Testament connection. This is um, um, a name that coincides with a person's mission or their purpose, and so, obviously, we know the, the rest of the story because we've read it, but, but here we go. Jesus itself is a variation on Joshua or Yeshua and means salvation or um, a variation on to save. So, his name is synonymous in this particular case with his purpose or with his mission. Now, I want to pause for just a second and I want to talk about uh, verse 22 Um, All of this took place to what the Lord um, said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, remember? So again, you've got another name here. That's not the name that Jesus would go by, but you can see what is his mission, part of his mission here within that name. But the term and this um, prophecy that's being referenced here is actually Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. Uh, and I want to read this to you because I want you, to, I want you to see the whole picture here. I'm going to start with verse 10. It says, again, the Lord spoke to King Ahaz. He's an Old Testament king. He was not a good king. There's not a lot of them. He has a son named Hezekiah who happens to be a very good king. And so this prophecy is somewhat about Hezekiah. You'll see. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. God is telling Ahaz, go ahead, pick a sign. I I want you to understand that I I am with you, that this is something that you can ask me for. And look what he says. Verse 12, but Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. This is called false humility. Let's just be honest about it. He is chickening out. God says, ask for a sign. And Ahaz says, oh, I'm not going to put you to the test. Um, That's disobedience. Let's just be clear about that, right? Ahaz doesn't 
pick the sign. So it goes on, verse 13. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you, house of David. It is not enough to try the patience of humans. Will you try the patience of God also? He is taking Ahaz to task here. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This is a prophecy that was made essentially about Hezekiah, but it is completely fulfilled in Jesus. So sometimes you have prophecies in the Old Testament that were partially fulfilled, but then further fulfilled when the Messiah came. But the point is, is that Hezekiah was going to be a good king, and he was, and he was supposed to represent God on earth, and he did, but Jesus is is the same fulfillment only better. I think that's the best way to think about that. It's almost as if Matthew is laying this out um, for his readers, and he's saying, this is like that, only better. You have to understand, here's the prophecy, but here's what it really means. Yes, it was fulfilled somewhat in Hezekiah, but it wasn't full. It wasn't complete. It wasn't um, in totality. But here in Jesus, it is. And so it applies here. One day, I hope to kind of develop this idea a little bit further because I think it's really interesting, um, this idea of the prophecy and, and how it's actually appropriated and applied towards Jesus. Now, one of the things I do appreciate about um, this particular part of the narrative, and Matthew's style in general, is, is that, <coughs> excuse me, right towards the end here, uh, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded. There's no fanfare here. There's no, you know, like, I, I, for me, it's like, the world's kind of a musical. You know, this is the part where Jason, Joseph would wake up and there would be a song that he would have to sing, you know, kind of a thing. And, oh, glory, hallelujah, go tell it on the mountain, that sort of thing. N- nothing like that. He just got up and he did what the Lord told him to do. It just, it's, it's a very efficient telling of the story, I think. Uh, it's very, you know, just kind of hops to it. And it reminds me a lot of the Old Testament narratives. Um, just very matter-of-fact, very simple, very straight, straightforward. Our series is called Christmas Noise. And I really don't want any of us to miss the signal that God is sending to us through the static, especially at this time of year with some of the strangeness that seems to be going on that um, Gina highlighted in her prayer. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the noise of history and that despite this very strange genealogy that Jesus has, He still came for all of us. And he still came for all of us despite the strange history that you have, whether it's your family or some of the decisions that you made. I like that song that we were singing earlier about that. Um, Just the notion that what the enemy means for evil, God has this redemptive story always for all of us. And it doesn't matter the things that you've done. It doesn't matter the things that you wish you would have done or not done. There's still this grace and mercy, and Jesus still came to be with you for Christmas. And then last week, we talked about the noise of opinion. 
Mary failed all kinds of public opinion. And I think we do too every time we pull out that handheld computer and we look at things like social media and we see everybody else's highlight reel, but we don't see the struggle. And we don't see the back end to it where, you know, you don't know what's going on in their hearts or in their minds. I've noticed this um, as we've spent a number of years with um, specifically homeschool parents, but uh, homeschool moms who typically have a lot on their shoulders when it comes to, you know, teaching kids. And there are, I guess I'll call it kind of a cottage industry with things like um, curriculum and lesson planning and that sort of thing. And, and uh, I, I'm, I'm so glad for the resource that the internet is, but I think a lot of times that, like most human beings, um, especially homeschool moms will have this ability to look at those things and again, it's the highlight reel of the people that they're watching and they don't understand that even those moms have their bad days with their kids too where their kids don't want to get any work done because they're normal kids and not everybody wants to work all the time. And so we, we often end up comparing ourselves in ways that are um, not truthful. And uh, it's not just that particular group, it's it's everywhere. I find myself oftentimes, um, you know, if I'm scrolling through YouTube, you know, another one of these, and, you know, it talks about getting rich quick or whatever it happens to be. You know, you, you pick your poison too. We all have them. The point is, is that there's this public opinion out there that seems to be accelerated, seems to be expanded just by virtue of technology. And you have to remember, you don't know the full story. You're only seeing a certain segment that that person wants you to see and not necessarily all the struggle or all the difficulty that's behind it. And so what happens is, is that we end up making that comparison. And let me, let, me, let me just say this up front. Comparison is a lie from the pit of hell. Now, there is nothing wrong with um, aspiring to something, to admire admiring something in somebody else. Maybe there's a character trait or maybe there's something that you might want to emulate. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not suggesting that at all. But when we're making the comparison game and you're comparing their highlight reel to your real everyday struggle, that's not a fair comparison to you or to anybody else. And it's untrue. And remember, Satan is the father of lies. And his native language is lying. So if you're feeling condemned by those kinds of things, first of all, turn off the phone. And second of all, realize there's much more to the story than you realize. And so what you have to do, the only thing that I can think of, is, is to reorient yourself to the kingdom. And say to yourself, okay, what is it on, on Facebook here that I could admire, that I can be inspired by? But let me be very careful here. Lord, what, what's the part that I need to leave behind? What is it that you want to tell me through this? What do you say about me? That's the important thing. Not some conjecture you're coming up with your own, in your own mind, but rather, what is it that the Lord is saying to you? And how many times do we scroll through the phone, but we don't spend any time reading what the Lord actually says about you? I'm not saying that to condemn you. I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. I'm just saying make a, a, a real comparison. This is the real comparison 
Because the Holy Spirit is the one who knows you intimately. And is the one that loves you unconditionally. And there's no highlight reel there. It is just the Lord loving you for who you are. Now, I want to submit that Joseph's story teaches us, teaches us about another type of noise. And I'm going to call it the noise of tradition. It's the noise of tradition that we see here. <clears throat> so we have one of history. We have a noise of, of opinion. But there's also the noise of tradition. Remember, Joseph was faithful or wanted to be faithful to the law. He was a righteous man. And here's the thing. He wasn't guilty. He was not guilty in this particular sense at all. And yet he didn't want Mary's uh, disgrace to be public. And so he was also compassionate to Mary for whatever reason, whether it was their relationship or by his um, nature or character. Text doesn't tell us that. Now here's the interesting thing. The law may have allowed him to divorce, but it didn't demand that he divorce Mary. It didn't demand it at all. In fact, there's only a couple of things here that I think that are, are, are um, relevant to, the, to that discussion. It gives, the law gave the right to Joseph to divorce Mary under the circumstances. And Jesus even spoke about this in Matthew 19. He said, Moses allowed you to make divorce because of your hardness of heart. Isn't that Interesting. And I think one of the things that we see here is because of the nature, the character of Joseph himself, is he did not have hardness of heart. He really was a righteous man. No, I want to be faithful to the law, but at the same time, I don't want public disgrace. That's not hardness of heart. That's somebody who is truly wrestling with a decision, at least it is in my mind. The fact, the, the fact of the matter is that the only law that's really related to, at least from, from what I can tell so far, um, when it talks about illegitimate children is Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 2, if you're interested in looking it up. But what would happen is if you had an illegitimate child, that child would never be able to enter the assembly of the Lord. It means he couldn't go to church and couldn't worship. That's serious in a culture, a Jewish culture, that is very worship-centric. There is no human being who would want that for, the, for any child to be excluded from the, the assembly. That's how serious it was. And so when we start talking about illegitimate children, this is one of the things that are, are at risk. Oh, and by the way, it's not just that illegitimate child, but all of their... Um, uh, all of the generations to the 10th generation. 10 generations that could not go into the assembly because of the illegitimacy. That's serious business. That's not, uh, you know, oh, that's heavy-handed. Mm -mm. That's the seriousness by which this culture took that particular activity, worship. It was that big of a deal. It just highlights all of that. Now, Tradition, more or less, dictated that Joseph divorce Mary, lest he sully his own name. Well, I want you to think about that. By custom, it was wise to distance himself from her 
but he was not legally bound to do so. Okay, this is important. There's a tradition here, there's a custom here that's not necessarily um, legal, legally required, let me put it that way. And so God sends an angel to kind of nudge him in the right direction, I think. Now I wanna be clear here, because I think, I think this is the part that gets glossed over far too often when we read this story, and it's one that you need to pay attention to. In betrothal, remember, we've got courtship, we've got betrothal, and then we have the full-blown marriage, okay? But in this interim period, in this betrothal period that exists between courtship and marriage, you are essentially married by law, but without all the fun stuff, okay? That's, that's the best way to describe it. Oh, there's a couple of other things too, but there was no fun part to it. And please understand, let's be completely clear. There is no way that Mary's relation, um, uh, reputation is not shot. It is completely shot, no matter what. Because in that betrothal period, because she was found to be with child, there's only two logical conclusions. She was either having fun with someone else or she was having fun with Joseph. That's it. Logically, I'm not saying devoid of spiritual, I'm just saying logically, if you're in a group of people, those are the two conclusions that everybody's gonna come with. Because people understand the mechanics of it. So she's either having fun with Joseph or she's having fun with someone else. And the difference though is Joseph actually has a choice. Joseph gets to choose here because he can rightfully claim his innocence and his reputation is completely clear. In fact, most people would, would not blame him at all and they would say, oh, poor Joseph had to put up with that Mary. Small town. You know how it goes, right? Joseph is completely in the clear to claim the innocence that he actually has, okay? But by doing so, what he does is he put Mary into that position that she was having fun with someone else, right? If he doesn't divorce her though, you need to hear this. If Joseph does not divorce Mary, he is assumed to be guilty. Do you understand? This is a big deal. This would change the way he would do business. This would uh, change his relationship with a, a lot of folks in, in, his, in his community. And so by taking Mary home, Joseph chose God over his reputation. Now Mary did the same thing, don't get me wrong. As soon as Mary said, may it be unto me as you have said, right? That, that uh, verse in Luke. Now, she did essentially the same thing. But Joseph actually has an out here. Joseph, he, he could say, no, I'm innocent. But he chooses to do it anyway. Largely because an angel kind of pushes him in the right direction. Right. Now, here's the thing. He was not legally um, bound to do this, but by tradition, it would have made the most sense for him and his, his reputation and his relationships. I'm not saying tradition is bad. Don't hear that. That's not my point here. In fact, uh, there are plenty of traditions that I think are great, um, especially this time of year. 
just last night, our family, we did one. Uh, we have a tradition where we watch a certain Christmas movie as we are decorating our Christmas tree. Everybody felt good enough to actually do it, even though the tree has been up and by itself, completely naked in the middle of the living room for the last week. But that's okay. And we finally uh, had enough energy, all of us, to begin to do that. And I, and I love that. I love having that tradition where um, we uh, have specialized ornaments and Lisa makes little stories so that we know where all of the ornaments come from and, and we have them out and the girls have their own and we have ours and the tree goes up and I was, I was watching this kind of unfold last night knowing that I was going to be talking about to this today. I'm like, man, I love this. I just love it. I love watching those ornaments go on that tree because they all have a story. And it's a lot of fun. So I'm not saying tradition is bad. Uh, over time, we've developed certain traditions that we do on Christmas morning. You probably do the same thing. Or Christmas Eve, depending on what your culture is, right? You have certain things that you do at a certain time and, and uh, how you do them. And some people, you've you got to open one present at a time. Others, you just kind of tear into it and the paper's flying everywhere and the kids are having fun. And, and then in our house, the kittens take over and play in the, in the paper and then that's a whole thing too. And anyway... Whatever it happens to be, those traditions are beautiful. Those things, you know, we, we, we want to have those kinds of things. And here's the beautiful thing about tradition. Tradition gives us guidelines, okay? Traditions give us um, kind of like the banks of a river. You know, it's, it's how we want our celebration to go. It's one of the reasons why we mark time with Advent candles, Right? It's a tradition to help us. It gives us a guideline. Oh yeah, there's only one more week. We got one more candle and then all of a sudden, oh, here it is. You know, some of you guys are going, oh, I better get my Christmas shopping done, right? You know, kind of a thing. So the point that I'm, I'm trying to make is that it's uh, a tradition is how we actually want to live. It reflects our values, our collective values, the ones that we choose to have as um, either a group of people like here in a church or as, as in a family. Tradition gives us guidelines. I'm not saying tradition is bad. What I am saying, and I think this is really important, traditions are not law. Traditions are not canon. Traditions are not dogma, and traditions are not permanent. And most important, and this is the thing I want you to remember, if you're choosing to write this stuff down, I think this is the one. Tradition never replaces relationship. Tradition serves relationship. One of the reasons why you have traditions in your family with Christmas is because it helps keep your family close together. It's something that your family members can count on. Oh yeah, at Christmas time we do this. That's the beautiful part of what tradition is, but it's not permanent and it's not law. Now one of the things I think about is that, you know, eventually, um, because we have two daughters, there are going to be um, other members of our family, I hope, if all goes well, <coughs> that will actually occur. And when that does occur, when that does occur, we may have to change some of our traditions a little bit. And I'm okay with that. But it is a piece of that puzzle. We have them because they serve relationships. They never replace, ever, 
They don't replace relationships. And so think about this a little bit. Joseph was ready to follow tradition and divorce Mary. And he had every right to do that. In fact, it was probably beneficial that he did that for himself. And God interrupts him. And he'll need that interruption because of the decision that he made. He's gonna need to remember that there was an angel that showed up in his dream and told him to do these things because life's gonna get hard. Because remember, we said this before, just because it's God-led doesn't mean it's easy. And the bigger the sign, the bigger the task. And so Joseph would have to access that over and over again. This is why a prophetic word is, is so important. We need to be reminded of the fact that God spoke over us in certain things because we're going to need that as we begin to move forward. That's a huge encouragement to all of us, and Joseph definitely illustrates that. And so God reminded Joseph that he was in relationship to Mary, not in relationship to the tradition. He's in relationship with Mary, and he's in relationship with with God. And aren't you glad that Joseph was listening? Right? Because this is a very different story. Very different story had he not done that. And so it is with the rest of us, too, is that we have traditions to keep us close to one another. That's the point. Traditions serve the relationships themselves. And at the same time, I want you to continue to experience the presence of God because you're in relationship to him. Don't let the tradition get in the way of the relationship. And that's what I mean by the noise of tradition. Is that the moment that we start focusing more on the tradition rather on the one who gave us those things to begin with, who gave us the reason to create those traditions, the moment that we do that, we've picked up the static rather than the signal. So enjoy the traditions, but understand it in its proper place. I don't want you to miss what Christmas is really all about. And it comes right down to that that passage from Isaiah. This is God with us. That hasn't changed. He chose to come to be with you, to be with you because he is with us. So enjoy the the traditions that you have. Uh, Make some new ones. Make some new traditions and memories. If you don't have any at all, it might be a good time to to give it a shot and just say, hey, this year, this is what we're going to try. But do it with, with the intention that It builds the relationships that you have with your family and your friends. Because tradition never replaces relationship. It only serves relationship. And I don't want you to miss out on the signal of God with us because you picked up the static of tradition. Let's pray. Hey, God... (laughs) I just love when you, um, when you make these ancient stories new and you give us different perspectives on it. And most importantly, Lord, you show us your heart in each one of these. I just, ah, never ceases to amaze me. Just when I think that I've read that story so many times and 
couldn't possibly learn anything new. There's always something, something that you're poking and prodding in your heart. And Lord, I just pray that, that first and foremost, uh, since I'm responsible for me, that I would never miss the message, the signal that you want um, to communicate. And I pray that for everyone else here too, that they would see the, the story afresh and anew and it would excite them again because God of the universe wants to be with us. I just, wow. I pray, Lord, that that would never be old and that it always would be fresh and that every person that's gathered here would, if they're experiencing it for the first time, great, or if it's the hundredth time, it doesn't matter. But that just our, our hearts would be quickened, that our hearts would be stirred that you would want to come to spend time with us. And that during the busyness of the season, and oh my goodness, there's all kinds of things going on, that we would be able to tune in to exactly what you're trying to say to us, that we would hear it afresh, that we would hear it anew. And I just know that um, even in a group this size and even those who are watching online, ultimately speaking, there's a lot of noise that's going on and there's, there's probably a lot of question marks and there's mm, all types of demands and their time and attention. And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, who has been welcome here since the moment uh, that we started, <clears throat> that your Spirit would speak clearly to anyone who needs to hear it. Lord, would you uh, communicate the message first, that only you can, com can communicate. And Lord, that um, we wouldn't miss it. Thank you that you care about all of these things and that you care about us and that you sent your son. You're good. You're so good. You're so good to us. And we just want to lean into that a little bit further today. And I just pray, Lord, as people continue their preparations for Christmas, that you would be present in those as well. Whatever they happen to be, whatever traditions, whatever uh, improvs they have to do in the next couple of weeks, Lord, that you'd be so present with them and that they would enjoy the fact that you are there too. And I thank you in advance for all you're going to do. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.